0: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN.
2: Last show of the week here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We have tournament coverage all day long the next couple days here on KLWN, including the KU men's and Women games. So we're going to talk about a lot of basketball on today's show. We're going to be joined by Jesse Newell at 340. Uh, Bryce Wilson of KU Disc Golf brought to you by Johnny's Tavern for our KU Club interviews in the 4 o'clock hour out early today uh, for coverage of the first four going on. Real quick, though, before we get into this basketball talk, um, Zach Granke has signed with the Royals, returning.
0: Can we also discuss, um, I'm going to miss you. Only three shows together this week and two of those shows we are really cut had, what, short.
2: Three and a half last week, too.
0: Man. Mm. Well I'm gonna miss you, bud.
2: We'll have a lot to talk about on Monday. That's true. That's for sure. Uh um, yeah,
0: so I uh I actually convinced Derek to mention Grinky at the beginning of the show. I'm not gonna be able to spend much time talking about it. Obviously the Royals still in spring training, but that um it's significant. I mean Grinky isn't uh, you know, a Cy Young caliber pitcher that he was, but I think he's got Plenty of juice left, um, and i I don't know what that says about what they think of their crop of pitchers. That are they just uh, traded Mike Miner? I don't know. I I think
2: I think the idea is let's get a veteran in there because clearly the pitching coach situation and, and a lot has not worked with the young guys so far. And there's obviously potential in that starting pitching rotation gets that cranky in there. Like he's, he's not somebody who's afraid to to speak his mind. You know, you're
0: absolutely right. And, and look, if, if this, if this, um, and I think they need, and I think they know this and I think they, they, they know they need to pull out all stops. And I think they are pulling out all stops. If this crop of pitchers craps, the bed, and Jake Junis goes to San Francisco and is tremendous, then they they're, they're going to have to completely overhaul how they and they've kind of overhauled the manner in which they do they coach pitching in the organization, but they haven't really overhauled the people who are coaching pitching in the organization, and so so if Junis goes and, and is great with San Francisco, and then this this group of young guys continues to just Ah well, he just can't get a third pitch. Ah well, he's only you know, and, and they turn into um, you know, instead of what I think would be a good good get, which would be one top of the end rotation, one bottom of the end of rotation, and a bullpen arm out of this this Asa Lacey, Daniel Lynch, uh, Keller, the list goes on and on. Um, if that group turns into like, you know, you get one sort of you know back of the end rotation guy and one man bullpen arm then that's bad yes so uh we'll see what happens
2: um but something to monitor and cool, the return of Zach Granke. I, I love Zach Granke, so I'm cool with it. Uh, by the way, our NCAA tournament coverage is brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Big city selection, small-town service on bikes, off-road vehicles, and watercraft located off Highway 24 in Topeka. Make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting for the spring and summer. Pull the trigger. Uh, Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. It's the same for a house. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free from Panky Foundation Repair. Also, if you have any work need done on your foundation, receive 10% off from Panky Foundation Repair. If you call and mention you heard this on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 785-505-0577, 785-505-0577. So we do know that KU's opponent will be Texas Southern. On Thursday night at about nine o'clock, uh, Central Time, Texas Southern beating Texas A&M Corpus Christi last night in the first playing game. I tried to watch it; I could not. I, was <laughs> I like, didn't even try. You did more than me. I I tried. I I watched the second game, but the first I I couldn't get into it with two sixteen seeds. I'm sorry.
0: The and, end of um the end of uh, I watched toward the end of Wisconsin. I honestly didn't watch. I think when Indiana started, or not Wisconsin, uh, Indiana and Wyoming, uh, Wyoming. As Indiana started kind of pulling away, I turned that one off, too. I used to—what's funny is the first few years when it was a 65-team tournament, I used to get really juiced. Like, I really liked that 16 v. 16 because it felt like, all right, here there's a taste. And then now it's like, eh, I'll turn them on. I'll turn on the first four, but nah. Eh.
2: Honestly, if it was part of the bracket pick and I had to pick it, I would be more intrigued by it. But nonetheless, uh, Texas Southern's kind of interesting. They have played, like, some good teams in the non-con, and they— They didn't fare to, like, compared to what you would think of a 16 seed, fared a lot better than you'd think. Uh, Oregon, they lost by 17 on the road. They played against St. Mary's on the road. St. Mary's a five seed. 67-58. That was a nine-point game. Yeah, they gave St. Mary's a scare. Washington on the road. Another Power 5 school. Not a good one, but they lost by seven. Um, NC State on the road. Again, another Power 5 team. Not a very good one. Lost by eight. BYU on the road. Top 50 Ken Palm team lost by 17, so it wasn't a, a complete blowout. They beat Florida on the road, Florida, a uh, bubble team that didn't make the NCAA tournament, and they're in the NIT, I believe. So, uh, I'm not saying this to say that you should be worried about Thursday night. And if KU does do the unthinkable and lose to a 16 seed, it's not really worth talking about because there are so many things that have to go wrong, and if that stuff happens, then it just happens, but it's not really something worth predicting or you know going Real over. Real quick,
0: the one versus 16, uh, three of the four one versus 16s will be played tomorrow. Arizona will be playing Friday. Um, Baylor and Norfolk State, Baylor is a 20.5-point favorite. Um, Gonzaga is a 23-point favorite over Georgia State. Uh, who Georgia State in, back in 2015 pulled a 14 over three upset yep. over
2: Baylor as Ron Hunter and his uh, and his kid
0: um, Kansas is kind of right smack dab in the middle of those two uh, Baylor 20 and a half uh, Gonzaga 23 Kansas is a 21 and a half point favorite so it, it's you should win you should win comfortably we you know obviously we all saw what happened. And what's, you know, what's interesting is is because Virginia happened that night, UMBC Virginia happened that night, for the first 10 to 12 minutes of Ku's the last time KU was a one seed in 2018, the first 10 or 12 minutes of that game against Penn were nerve-wracking. Yes,
2: they are. So I could, uh, here's the thing, I, I bring this up again, not to say that I think, you know, Texas Southern is going to win or anything, I bring it up to say that some of the benefits that you might have of if you went out and beat your 16 seed by 30 points for this KU team of, you know, uh, maybe getting to rest David McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot more, whatever it would be. Like, I could see Texas Southern hanging within that 12 to 20 point range where maybe it's harder for you to to play all the backups till the final few minutes of the game. That's the only part that's interesting here. Uh, Texas Southern actually does have a a pretty good defense. They're 12th in the country in effective field goal percentage defense. They're 20th in three-point defense, 18th in two-point defense, 25th in block rate on the defensive side of the ball, but a lot of that is because they get to play so many games against really crummy opponents. So not overly worried, but yeah, that's uh, I guess the thing to watch for me is is Texas Southern good enough to at least keep it close where KU can't just kind of mess around.
0: That'll be the discussion. Uh, when Kansas um, – now, look, I, I, there's not really – look, when Can- Kansas went to the Final Four in 2 and they were losing at halftime to Holy Cross and they kind of had to pull away late, they ultimately defeated Holy Cross 70-59, to but two of those points came on a Drew Gooden – um let me just tell you the timing in which Drew Gooden dunked the ball, uh, Bill Self would have called it a certain type of move. <laughs> we'll just say, to give you an idea of when that dunk took place. So really until the final seconds when Gooden slammed that ball home, it was sixty eight fifty nine. And that team wound up going they they rolled. They rolled Stanford in the second round in their one eight matchup or one nine, whatever Stanford was, um, and wound up going to the final four. Um, and then Kansas in um, the year they lost to Northern Iowa, Lehigh gave them fits in the first round. Kansas won ninety to seventy six or ninety two to seventy six, and obviously Northern Iowa they, they, they wound up losing. So, but then you've got um, so my point is you can find examples of they struggled against their sixteen and did well the next round and wound up making a deep run in the tournament. You can find examples in which they blew out their 16 seed and struggled. And then you can find, you know, so my point is, is the discussion will be if Texas Southern gives KU trouble, I don't know that the discussion will so much be, is this a sign that they'll struggle against their eight or nine seed? I think it is, what does that do to, like you said, uh, David McCormick's foot and, and his health? So that's really the big thing for me.
2: Now, I do want to just quickly run over both San Diego State and Creighton since we won't have a show on on Friday between tomorrow's KU game and, and the, the second-round game, assuming that they do beat Texas Southern. Both teams better defenses than offenses. San Diego State's second in defense, 161st in offense, according to Ken Palm. San Diego State is just really elite on the defensive side of the ball. They don't let you shoot twos very well. They defend the three-point arc well. Um, they turn you over a lot. They get a lot of blocks. They get a lot of steals. They are just disruptive, and that is a little bit scary uh, against a Kansas team that has had issues with turning the ball over, but they are terrible offensively. They do shoot threes efficiently, so that is scary mixed with their defense, but they don't shoot threes very often, and they're terrible at two-point shots. They don't shoot free throws well. They turn it over a lot themselves. They don't do great on the the glass either way. Uh, Creighton, meanwhile, they're top 20 in defense, they're a little better offensively, 126th, play at a faster pace than San Diego State, which is interesting to me. Um, but Creighton turns it over a lot, they do not force turnovers. Uh, they do have a really good two-point defense. That's because they have a really good shot blocker inside in uh Ryan Kalkbrenner, but I I think, you know, it's it's weird to say this because I sometimes and you've mentioned this before you root for a certain team because you think it's a better matchup and then you end up playing them and they beat you. Mm -hmm. Like Sometimes that happens, but I think just on paper, Creighton would be a a more beneficial matchup for KU. But either way, you're going to be playing a team with a good defense that you're going to be favored against.
0: You're going to play against two teams that want to slow you down and have minimal possessions and frustrate you. And San Diego State, both teams want to do that. San Diego State is probably better equipped to. Both of them are capable of it. But San Diego State is better equipped to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we what we know if Kansas winds up playing in the second round, they're going to be basically impossible to beat if they're consistently hitting threes. That will be huge, um, because then it won't matter how good of a shot blocker they have down low, uh, if if they're canning threes. Now that's been the light. I mean it's it's turned very clear into a pattern. Their three point struggles. They were amazing against K State. They struggled the very next game against Baylor, and we kind of thought, well, is that just a, a turnaround, a, a correction from their just freakish shooting performance against K State, or is it going to turn into something? And they haven't shot well from three-point land ever since. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. And then obviously, um, Remy. I mean, a, a good defense is going to be able to, you know, keep your first sets keep your first two sets from being successful several times throughout the game. So you could have multiple possessions over the course of their, of your game in the second round that the shot clock is at five and you don't have time to run it and run another set. And if Remy is on, if Remy is playing like he played it in the semifinals and finals of the big 12 tournament, um, then that's huge because you can, you can go off, you can get yourself, a, you know, he can get, get a bucket for himself um, and you don't necessarily have to try to run really one really quick set or call a quick timeout to try to get a, a sideline out of bounds play with five seconds left on the clock.
2: Yeah, I think it, it looks if if KU does lose this week, it it looks like something where it was slowed down. They had too many turnovers, and the defense just wasn't there for KU. I think that's what it looks like. But certainly KU trending in the right direction right now. And Texas Southern tomorrow night, the opponent here on KLWN. Uh, This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Jesse Newell going to join the show in about 20 minutes. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Jesse Newell joined the show in about 10-15 minutes here. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN. Daily poll for today. What is your favorite Bill Self team? We're limiting this to Bill Self teams. If you had non-Bill Self teams, there would be, you know, It'd I think 1997. would be the runaway probably, yeah. winner, yeah. What's your favorite Bill Self team that did not make the Final Four? So the four options, you can vote at rcst thirteen twenty. The 2010 team, with Sharon and, and Cole. Yep. 2011 team. My favorite. Which is so dominant. Morris Twins. 2017, which is my favorite. So that's
0: why we went with those two. And then and other. And then 2010, obviously, because of how beloved Sharon uh, and Cole is, are. Yes. Um, so Do you yeah, think we went...
2: anybody will vote for anyone else? Who else would be in discussion? 16. I mean, 16, 16 was, yeah. with Perry. See, is and... interesting, because I, I almost viewed 2016 as... Like better than 2017 in certain ways. I don't know if they would have won straight up because you have more star power in 17. But like statistically, Ken Palm wise, that team was amazing, but it wasn't as beloved as the 17
0: team. Yeah, I think the 17 team, kind of like the 11 to the now I'll, the the advantage the both the the 17 team and the 16 team lost in the same round, both in the elite eight. Um the advantage that the 11 or the eleven team has over the 10 is that they uh, went further. They lost in the Elite Eight. Obviously, 10 uh, was the upset against Northern Iowa. Um, but Rustin Dodd, who now writes for The Athletic, and I don't know if he's a full-on columnist or if he just does baseball. For a time, he was just doing baseball for The Athletic. He might be a full-on columnist now. But anyway, Rustin Dodd used to be in Lawrence. He, he went to KU. Uh, then at one point, he was with the Star. Uh, but he, he covered early in his journalism career, uh, in the newspapers, he covered KU and he described it to me very perfectly. He said, um, the, uh, the 2010 team had all the right notes, but never really made music and the 2011 team had it going on. Like the 2011 team probably wasn't as good as the 2010 team because it was the 2011 team plus John Collins, Xavier Henry, and Cole Aldrich. And the freshman stud on the 11 team was Josh Selby, who wasn't any good. Um, but that 11 team was, just, I don't know if it was their chemistry or their swagger or what, but they had moments that you were just amazing to watch. They were I, so damn fun.
2: I think the most um, often, uh, and we already have one person who just replied this, uh, that we're going to get for the other, I didn't even realize this, uh, 2020 team because there because wasn't an we, NCAA And tournament. we
0: discussed last night when Derek and I were talking about this for the poll, uh, Derek actually brought out, tw- brought up 2020. Ultimately, the reason 2020 was left off, um, and same with 2016, we wanted an other in there. We yeah. figured we didn't want to choose between 16 and 20, and so we thought we'd put other if you want to choose 20 or 16. Well, I think definitely, I think 20 isn't
2: the answer for the most beloved team, but 20 might be the maybe the most common answer here because of the fact that like the. I, I wish I would have phrased this to say teams that actually played in the NCAA tournament. The thing with the 2020 yeah. team is you never got the finality of them actually losing. Yeah. So, like, it's not just that they made the Final Four. They could have won a title. And just getting to actually see what would have happened. So I get that.
0: I think if you look at the, the SRS numbers on college basketball reference and on Ken Palm, KU obviously was so the, – the difference between KU, at, at the Ken Palm, who was the Ken Palm number 1 to finish the year – and the number and whoever number 2 was was a huge difference but nobody was high you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody was like a 32 or 33, I don't think.
2: Yeah, so Kansas was actually a 30. Yeah. Second was Gonzaga, who was a under a 27. So they were 26 And so, nine, five. And so
0: yeah, you had a huge gap between one and two, but what you didn't have was anybody who was like 33 or 34, which is what you had last yeah. year in Gonzaga and Baylor. Well,
2: like, out of comparison, 2019, five teen, or no, I'm sorry. 7, 8 – Eight teams were higher than the second best team in 2020 so in the terms 20, of rating. The
0: 2020 tournament kind of had the potential to be like a 1-1, a 6, a 5, and a 2 mm-hmm. in the final four. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. For me, it's
2: 2017. I, I, I love that team. And I didn't. I I understand the logic on 2020, but I'm not really counting them for part of this. Just yeah, for, for and I, I but
0: but feel free. I mean, if if they're your other, feel free because they mm. were they were fun to watch. I I don't know. They were they were fun. I mean, Yudoka was full of personality. Devon Dodson was um just had that you know ang- angry. He wasn't like an angry person, but he played angry. He was super competitive. Eh. Um, some would argue the well, other. well, okay.
2: Anyway, um, we got to get to rock chalk Pickahawk. So, I am up 14 to 9. I beat you in the Big 12 semifinals one that we did. Um, 64 to 50 was the final score on that one. For the NCAA tournament, obviously, like I said, we're not going to have a show on Friday. So, if KU wins on Thursday, we won't be able to do Pickahawk for uh, the Saturday game. So, here's my proposal to you. We do Rock Chalk, Pickahawk, and it is the first round plus the second round combined. So you get the players for both games.
0: I was wondering if we do that. But
2: the win-loss counts as two. Okay. This is your chance to come back. Mm. You're down five.
0: It's not going to happen. but You no never know.
2: To. Uh, I have the first pick. How about it? I will take—I'll mm, go Ocha Baji for the two games. Tempted to take Christian, but I'll stick with
0: Ocha. I'll take Christian. And I'll take David McCormick.
2: Not worried about the foot at all?
0: A little bit, but I think you can get, you know, 13 and 8 in limited minutes.
2: Okay, I will take Jalen Wilson. I think this could really be a a great turn. I mean, if KU is going to go far, I think it almost has to be. But I think it very well could be a really good tournament for Jalen Wilson. Um, in the same way that he struggled a lot in the non-con, and, and there was a really good feature written by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. Highly recommend you go check that out about everything Jalen kind of went through this year. And you could really tell the mental side of things that that was wearing on him and that got to him. And once he got to Big Twelve play, he was able to kind of view it as okay, this is this is a reset. You know, everything that happened before doesn't matter. Reset. I think he can do the same thing in the tournament. And for a guy that he – I'm sure he wants to go pro. He, I'm, I'm sure he wants to go to the NBA. Have a good NCAA tournament. Lead Kansas to the Final Four, and then you're talking. You're in that conversation about possibly going pro. I think he could have a very big tournament, and he goes back to the conversation of, you know, we always talk about, do you have a matchup nightmare, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times that ends up being a stretch four. Well, Jalen isn't really a stretch four but he's an athletic wing who plays at the four position. Yep. So in that way he is a a kind of matchup nightmare, right? So I'm I'm going to go Jalen Wilson and then my second pick I will go with man. Dewan Harris would the, be the obvious pick because he's a starter, but just what we saw from Remy Martin the last two games. I'm going to go Remy. All right. I'll say he goes off one of the games.
0: Um then I will take Dewan um i wanted remy by the way mm-hmm. uh, i actually thought about remy but by the like, way i would like early to, to take remy since we're first... doing
2: two rounds of this i think we each take five, six players six yeah. okay
0: um i will take dewan and i will take oh, wait,
2: five players i'm sorry
0: okay i was wondering yeah
2: because bobby pediford's um, out so somebody would get screwed over there
0: unless you take christian no let's do six let's uh, do six no no you don't we're want doing to five right. we're doing five um I'm gonna do DeWan and this bothers me. Um,
2: I mean, Mitch Lightfoot, uh, but he's injured. But that's the
0: thing; I don't want. I mean, I've Joe already Yesifu, got Joe Jalen Coleman lands. Um, it's between Yesifu and Jalen Coleman. What if Lance. I
2: give as a player option? You can just take the lumping of the walk-ons. So you just get the walk-ons. No. I mean, hypothetically, if they play, yeah, if they, yeah, with Texas if they Southern, three yeah. minutes against Texas Southern, and Jankovic and Tihan hit each hit a three, that's six points. Yeah,
0: I know how it works. Yes. Um. Give me Joe Yesufu.
2: Okay. Um. I will go with Mitch Lightfoot, and I'll just take the risk and hope that he plays at least the second game. And then I'm going to get big man insurance in case he does not. But the question is, who would be more likely to play? KJ Adams. Or Zach Clemens. I think Clem... I think KJ's more likely to play, but Zach has a higher ceiling for how much he could play, so I'll go Zach Clemens. So that's my five. You have one more. Um, KJ or Jalen Coleman? Jalen Coleman-Lands,
0: Coleman-Lands yeah, yep. that's the tough one. Um... I'll say Jalen Coleman lands. Okay. So
2: I have Ochai, Jalen Wilson, Remy Martin, Mitch Lightfoot, Zach Clements.
0: Well, hold on. Mm-hmm. How much are rebounds worth? Two. K- K.J. Adams. Give me K.J. instead of Jalen Coleman lands.
2: Okay, quick switch. We know Jalen Lands now is going to go off for like 20 points one of the game. But, I'm cool with it. Uh, You have Christian, David, Dwan, Joe, and KJ. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, talks KU basketball, and the NCAA tournament with us next. That time on a Wednesday, we talk with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Uh, You wrote about the matchups that KU should and shouldn't want to see in the bracket. This was before the bracket came out on Sunday and they got one of the teams that they should want to see a four seed Providence. They also got an eight seed that you listed. They didn't want to see was San Diego state Uh, overall though, just thoughts on KU's path in the Midwest bracket to the final four.
1: Yeah, I gave the draw an A for Kansas. I mean, this is as good as they've had in quite a while to be completely honest with you. Um, you know, you, you, you're you going to have to face tough teams to make the Final Four. That's the bottom line. It's not like they're going to put, a, you know, 15, 16 seeds in there with you. So um, Kansas' pass isn't completely clear. But if you're looking at some of the two and three seeds that you potentially wanted to avoid if you were Kansas, I think the Jayhawks basically avoided them. Uh, and obviously where it really opens up for Kansas, I think, is that there's not the great depth of really good teams in their bracket. So, for example, if Iowa were to be upset before they face Kansas, that bracket really opens up for Kansas. I mean, they're going to be a super-duper favorite to make the Elite Eight, that sort of thing. Same thing for Auburn. If Auburn were happening to lose before the Elite Eight, then I just don't think there's any team on that other side of the bracket that KU should really fear. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I-, I think for Kansas, this is as good as they could have hoped for. There's a couple things there, and I, I mean, I don't want people to bring my words back up to me next week if KU gets upset by San Diego State or if Iowa becomes a really tough matchup because – uh you know those are two teams that you know potentially could cause some problems but all in all you know KU avoided Kentucky KU avoided Houston KU avoided some of those landmines where they might have been a favorite in a particular game in the Elite 8 and Sweet 16 what we know now is that the Jayhawks will be a Vegas favorite in every game they have until the final four and again come to this point in the season that's really all you can ask for
2: if if it does end up burying itself out with someone that KU ends up playing like an Iowa or an Auburn or San Diego State, whoever, like what matchup specifically do you think would be the most difficult for KU? Um, you
1: know, I don't, it's, the funny part about all this is, you know, we hear the cliche this time of year, and, I, and I've done this before, so I'm not even like throwing people under the bus by doing this, but you hear, oh, it's all about matchups, it's all about matchups, it's all about how this happens or this happens, you know, and what a team looks like against another team. And again, I was a big believer in that probably five or six years ago and really trying to break things down. I think over time, I, I, I've kind of gone in the very opposite direction. Um, if you have a strength in one particular area, then that means you're going against uh, a particular weakness in another area that a team has. And overall, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of more now of like the 5,000 5, foot view, which is like, how good have these teams been throughout the course of the season? What's it going to look like from a Vegas spread standpoint? What percentage is it going to be that Kansas is potentially going to win a game? So, um, yeah, you're right. In A 40-minute sample, maybe um, something like Jabari Smith's skill set or size causes KU uh, potentially to have a, a weird positioning or them having to potentially put a guy on him that uh, they don't like. But, you know, we can go back and forth on that. I mean, I'm sure Duke felt really good about its front court in 2018 against Kansas, and and would have felt really great knowing Steve McKilic would have to guard one of those big men, but yet KU was able to shoot threes on the other end because Duke couldn't guard Kansas. So uh, I think just over time, I've become a lot less of a matchup person and more just like, how good your team and, and what are the percentages that it are, are going to be out there that you potentially is going to beat these, but you are going to beat these teams. And so we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, it's like that with everybody. You know, I could see problems for Dave McCormick guarding on one end. But I could see problems for that same team trying to guard Dave on the other end. So that's the sort of thing you're looking at in these games. And the most important thing is for Kansas to be healthy, to have the guys on the court that have played best over the course of the season, and to make sure they have their best five out there. And if they have that, then uh, these matchups should probably play out exactly as we expect them to. And, uh, yeah, for KU to be maybe a two- or three-point favorite in their Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games if they're facing both Iowa and Auburn.
2: Who do you think the player on KU, and I'm I'm going to take out Remy Martin from this discussion. If I told you somebody had a, a March Malik-type run, I'm going to take out Ochai as well. Can't choose Ochai, Baji or Remy Martin. Who do you think the best candidate would be?
1: That's not fair, right? I mean, <laughs> that's not fair. I, I think you asked me this question a couple weeks ago, and I said Remy Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, obviously, i listened to you guys, you with Nick Schwert on the old podcast, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I think he said that it was uh Okayabashi. So yeah, this is, this is really not fair. You're kinda of going here and, and taking away my thunder here. Um you know I guess I guess I mean the Malik thing is just so different. I mean the guy averaged what was 23 points. Um, Remy's really the only guy on the bench that you could expect that sort of production from. Um Joseph Jessica seems to be kind of settled into a nice spot where with where he is where Hey, can come in and give you five to eight minutes. You know, amp up the defensive pressure, do all those sorts of things. But I mean, he's not going to give you 22 points. So I guess I'll say Zach Clement, just because the question marks are there with David McCormick in his foot. The question marks are there with Mitch Lightfoot in his knee. So that leads me to think, okay, who would KU turn to if those both of those guys aren't available? And that most likely answer would be Zach Clemens. And if there is an instant offense guy on KU's roster off the bench that really hasn't shown it for extended periods because he hasn't gotten the playing time, I, I would probably go with Zach. So it's not a great answer. I don't think there's any Malik on this roster again, unless you want to go full mixed word. And actually, so he said Jalen Wilson, which I mean, I guess you can make an argument for that as well, where Jalen had about I don't know what was it, 11 or 12 points per game going into the NCAA tournament and. Uh, that's what, kind of the same where Malik leak was. But yeah, I guess I'll go with Zach Clemens just because kind of the question marks surrounding this team right now are at that five position. And if he had to get in there for extended minutes, like if he played 20 minutes, could he score 12 to 14 points? Uh, I think the answer is absolutely yes. So we'll see how it plays out. But I think Kansas's best case scenario is that uh, they don't have to do the, you know, break glass in case of emergency play Zach Clemens 20 minutes. The best case scenario is that David and Mitch at this point, are kind of who they've been throughout the course of
2: the season. We talked about this yesterday a little bit, of a couple things that, you know, might be difference makers, like positive boosts for KU that they haven't always had over the course of the season that maybe they'll end up getting in the NCAA tournament. And I'm curious, because um, uh, between our guest yesterday, Matt Tate, and between uh, Adam and myself, we all came up with three different answers. So I'm curious what your answer is on this as well. Um, The three different things that we thought maybe could give Kansas a boost in the NCAA tournament. Number one, just getting out of big 12 play in general between, you know, how many difficult teams there are and specifically how many good defenses there are. Uh, obviously KU has possibly San Diego state or Creighton in the second round, which that's a good defense either way, but um, just getting out of that play and maybe playing some, some looser defenses. That's the first one. The second one, the longer media timeouts, which obviously could help with the stamina of guys who play a lot of minutes, or maybe it helps with guys like Dave or Mitch Lightfoot dealing with uh, their injury. And then the third one is just the way that games are officiated. Now, there's no guarantee you don't know how they are going to be officiated, but we did see a lot of times in Big 12 play where they were letting a little bit more go. There wasn't as much freedom of movement necessarily in the games to where if it is officiated more to allow freedom of movement in the NCAA tournament, that could benefit KU as well. So which of those three stands out to you the most as having maybe a positive impact for KU in the NCAA tournament?
1: Um, I will go with the longer media timeout just because we know how Bill self-operates when he needs to win a game. And that rotation really shrinks. And he wants to go with the guys he can trust. And I think that helps, you know, mostly any KU team. uh, But it definitely helps this one because, I mean, the Jeffs are kind of settled into that really short rotation. We just talked about the guys that potentially could be in there, but you'd expect right now Remy Martin and Mitch Lifet to be the first guys off the bench. After that, potentially Joseph Gess going to give a little bit of change of pace, but okay, past that, who's playing? Uh, you get Zach Clement if Mitch Lifet's hurt and David McCormick's hurt. Um, Jalen Coleman lands if you just desperately need a three. KJ Adams, you need to switch off five, but I mean, this rotation, I'm telling you right now, like, I mean, outside the first game in the sixteen seed, KU's 299th in bench minutes. I mean, this, this is not a team that's super deep. And so you get the extra time, you get the extra rest, and then you've got a guy like Dave McCormick who's already nursing that foot, could potentially, you know, get a little extra breather. Otayabaji is in great shape, but, yeah, you want to get him uh, as much time as possible to catch his breath, all those sorts of things. I think, I think I'll go with the extended media timeout because it plays into what Kansas does and – I had this stat pulled up a couple of days ago, but really, I mean, this format favors the teams that have a really locked and loaded six to seven guys. I mean, if you're comfortable playing with them, uh, that, that, that's what this whole format benefits. And I think it was 29 of the last 40 final four teams have been 200 or wor- 200 or worse in bench minutes. I think it was 17 of the last 40 have been 300 or worse, which is kind of the bottom 50 or so. And that's where Kansas is is trending and probably will be before the end of the season. So you're really in the driver's seat, I think, if you have kind of narrowed your rotation down, you get that extra rest, and you're able to take advantage of the specific rules that happen in the NCAA tournament. So I'll go with that second one. I'll say that that benefits Kansas, and we thought this would be a super deep team for Kansas. It hasn't turned out to be the case, but I think that's okay for KU because um, what they've kind of shown over the last couple weeks is that that rotation has dwindled and Bill Self has trusted certain guys more than others. So now it's about getting those guys on the court in crunch time, and Bill Self should be able to do that with all those things we just
2: talked about. We're talking about Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. So as far as the matchups ahead for KU, uh, Texas Southern in the one sixteen game, assuming they can get by that, you get the winner San Diego State Creighton, and it is funny because they're at you know it San Diego State's the the favorite, and that would likely be the team you play in the second round, but like. It's a three-point favorite, so it wouldn't be crazy at all if Creighton moves through. After all the time we've we've spent talking about San Diego State, but as you look at just the matchups in this first pod for this weekend, what is it about any of the teams KU could play that would make things difficult on them? What are areas that you think KU could really have an advantage over these teams?
1: Well, yeah, you start with San Diego State, um, and, and the reason that I put them as the team, even before such and Sunday happened, I said, you know, what would be a bad matchup for Kansas, a bad matchup be San Diego State, so. What you don't like is that they're second nationally in defense um, and that they have length and athleticism, and they really swarm you defensively. They get a bunch of steals. So, I mean, they really act like a lot of the Big 12 teams out there. Texas Tech would actually be a good example of sort of what they are, probably a little bit more shot-blocking than Texas Tech has. So you add kind of the steals, the frenzy, the good two-point defense, the good rim protection to a team that you know blocks a few more shots. That's sort of what you have with San Diego State, a team that's experienced as well, um, but, but you mentioned this, Derek. I mean, they're flawed on the offensive end. I mean, I think the worry you'd have if you were Kansas is that any 40-minute sample, a team can shoot really well from three. You know, like, like San Diego going to go, say, shoot pretty well from three but barely shoot them, I mean, it's not crazy in that sort of thing to go seven for 15 against one opponent. And if that happened against Kansas, plus you have the defense in, oh, boy. You know, you're looking at something that potentially could be uh, bad, but I mean, they struggle offensively. They turn it over. Uh, they're not good inside. They're, they don't shoot many threes. So they, they're offensively challenged. So that's, that's a positive for, for Kansas. And obviously they'd have the upper hand, especially if they played defense the way that they did over at the Big 12 tournament and, uh, locked and loaded like that. Creighton is the worst team to San Diego State. So, uh, obviously KU fans should be cheering for Creighton if, uh, if they're watching that matchup before the KU game. But Creighton's a weird team. You know, you see Greg McDermott. You're thinking pace and space. You're thinking, you know, guys that can shoot threes, and really they've struggled offensively this year. What, where they've made their mark is defensively, and uh, same sort of thing. They've been able to uh, you know, have a little bit of room protection and keep guys out of the lane and keep two-point percentages down for the opposing team. So whoever KU faces in the second round is going to be sort of a, a defense-first matchup from the opponent, but um, kind of what I talked about earlier. If, if you're just looking, if you're taking a big step back and saying, who would Kansas rather have just based off of the quality of teams you're probably talking that Kansas is going to be an 8- or 9-point favorite against San Diego State. You're probably talking about 10- or 11-point favorite against Creighton. So, obviously, Kansas fans would most likely take those extra few percentage points, and that's why they'll, they'll be cheering for the Blue Jays if you're watching that game tomorrow and, and making sure to, to see that and maybe get a little early scouting for report of who KU might face.
2: Whenever the season does end for KU, if it doesn't end in a title what do you think is going to be the biggest reason in, in whatever round that would be that, that prevents KU from going further? Is there one factor aspect of the game?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, one of them tournaments just aren't fair. I mean, let's just be honest. Like how many games has KU played recently? And I, I I want to call this bad luck. I mean, I'm, I'm sure fans would not call it bad luck, but how many games has KU played recently where the other team has shot three to a point where it's, there just was nothing you could do. I mean, Auburn did that. Villanova did that. USC did that. Um, sometimes it's not your night. I mean, it's sort of like when I, when K-State walked into KU, and now it Fieldhouse earlier this year, and KU made what was it, you know, 16 of 25 threes or something like that. I mean, the Lakers wanted to beat Kansas on that night. There's just nothing you can do. So Well, nobody,
2: everybody's beating the Lakers anyway, so.
1: <laughs> well, that's true, okay. Uh, whoever's good now, uh, the Bucks. the Bucks <laughs> wouldn't beat the KU on that night. So, I guess that's the first thing is you just want to avoid this random bad luck that could happen in the tournament to any team at any time. And that could happen to Gonzaga. It could happen to Texas Southern. It could happen to anybody. So um, that's the first thing. But to me, I think the one thing for Kansas is uh, still probably still has to be concerned about his ball screen defense. And there's tape out there to look at some of KU's rotations and how they handle things. They're not always perfect on the communication there and the backside. And so you're able to either get to the basket off the drive or hit the roll man who has not always been covered. So uh, that would be the concern for me is if, if I'm Kansas and looking at this and saying, is there just a team that just super relies on pick and rolls, is great, has a great distributor, as a passer uh, that can take and pick apart those situations. And a, a five man who doesn't have to be great in the post, but a really good roll man with good hands who can take advantage of layups at the rim if he's able to catch the ball. Um, I don't know, I guess I haven't looked, studied super intensely on on what that matchup might be for Kansas, but I do think they have some vulnerabilities on the back end when it comes to picking the low offense. And if another team was able to uh, potentially take advantage of that, then maybe that might might be a little bit better against Kansas than they would be against some other matchups out there.
2: We're talking with Jesse Newell. You can follow along with his KU coverage during the NCAA tournament in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. We have one more kiss, marry, kill for you. Um, and then I'll I'll let you know uh, later on after this, I'm going to release a bracket based on your Kiss, Marry, Kill, and we'll see how it does. <laughs> Jeez. Um, okay. okay, so for this week, we have TCU, Richmond, and South Dakota State. TCU, Richmond, and South Dakota State.
1: Okay. Um, well, I will, I guess I will, uh, I'll marry TCU. Um, the thing about them is, you just know the effort level is going to be there. And they're sort of – I don't really feel like they have a great ceiling, but they don't really have a low floor either. You know, they're just going to try hard. They're going to get much off three about them. They can't make threes. So it just feels like they're kind of steadily going along the road. And if you play bad, they're going to beat you. And if you play well, you're going to win. So um, I, I kind of like that. That's fine. That's good. Um, South Dakota State was on their right. I mean, I guess I'll give them the uh, the old kiss because – any team that's two threes that well has won as many games in a row as South Dakota State has. I think it's – what is it up to now? Something like 21? Um, they could be dangerous in the bracket, and, and obviously getting a team like Providence in the first round is everything that they could have hoped for. Uh, it's going to be a two- or three-point underdog in that one, so it wouldn't be surprised off all if the Jack Rabbit win that game. I mean, I'm not saying they're the greatest team ever. They're not the greatest defense ever, but um, it's great to kiss them because that's a, a fleeting experience. And then uh, Richmond, the spiders, yeah, I'll, I'll kill them. They, they are the lowest of those teams, and uh, not expecting too much from them in the tournament. And obviously, facing Iowa is, is the opposite of facing Providence. It's not a good matchup. So there's the kiss, Mary, kill for this week. And uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely put TCU uh, on the Mary line just because of the consistency they seem to have.
2: Okay, I have the numbers of Mary, kiss, kill by region. Can you guess which one has? One region has the most marries and kisses, and it has zero kills.
1: Uh, I'm going to guess. So, whatever bracket Baylor's in, um, it seemed like every. Baylor's in the I, East. Uh, so, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think of this real quick. So, what, what's the one, two, three, four there? It's Baylor. Uh, it's uh, Kentucky, uh, Purdue, oh, UCLA. Uh, okay. Um, maybe it's that one. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Go, back, go back. Arizona. Wait, wait, what's Arizona? South. Okay, so we got Arizona, Villanova, god.
2: Tennessee, Houston. Oh no, that one.
1: No, that one that one's definitely it. That one, that that one, is one's correct. Houston. That's Houston. that one's absolutely it, yeah.
2: Yes, yeah, you have in the South six married teams, five KISS teams. Both of those are the most and zero killed teams.
1: Oh my god, yeah, yeah. No, actually I, I thought about this while I was doing a podcast this week because I thought this should be the Jesse reason here, because every team on here <laughs> Is a team I've been voting higher in the AP poll than uh, than what they were by other people. So, no, that is definitely the uh, the other Jesse region, I guess.
2: All right, before we let you go, Jesse, as always, one last thing with Adam.
0: All right, Jesse, one last thing. Based on shot quality, how did Derek do in today's interview?
1: Uh, let's see, expected to win by 12. He ended up winning by 18. So, well done, Bob. Uh, wow. Nice job, oh, Derek. Over, I'm proud of you. on his part. Good job, Derek. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or
2: bad that I overperformed. But anyway, Jesse, thank you for the time as always, man. And again, you can follow along with Jesse's work in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. All right, that is Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. One hour down, one and a half to go. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's Johnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back, 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Out early today for Westwood One coverage of the first four. We have all sorts of coverage coming at you the next couple days here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We also are going to get on to our next KU Club interview brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence with Bryce Wilson of the KU Disc Golf Club. Love we'll more college basketball talk to finish up the hour. But right now, top of the 4 o'clock hour on Wednesday. Let's go around the world with Adam.
0: All right, we're going to start things off in Austin, Texas. I don't know if Chris Beard was at this uh, screening of The Batman at a movie uh, a movie place called The Movie House and Eatery by Sinopolis. Cine, uh, Cine, uh, anyway, it was in Austin, and they were watching The Batman. Derek, what furry animal, decided to join them.
2: I mean, dog or cat is the easy guess, I guess. I don't know. Is it like uh, a raccoon or something? No,
0: no, no. Uh, very appropriately. It was a bat. Okay. Just, do people have pet bats? Is that a thing? That's a good question. I know. Here's a fun fact about Austin. There's a bridge where a heap of bats live under. Yeah. And it's a thing. they bat tours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they have a, it's a thing where as, as night falls, uh, people will set up their lawn chairs and watch the bats come out. I don't know if this one decided.
2: They have like boat tours too. You can go yep. under it. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is one of the bats from the bridges decided to go catch a flick or uh, the the GM had uh, Heidi Dino had a theory of her own. Um, But yeah, uh, this from uh, the AP moviegoers in Austin, Texas, got to see more than one type of bat during a screening of the Batman this weekend. An actual bat was spotted swooping around inside the theater, putting the movie on pause while management called animal control and tried unsuccessfully to get the critter out. That thing was not leaving. Paid for its ticket. It was staying in the damn movie house. Um, guests were offered their money back. A lot of them uh, actually chose to just stick it out and hang out. They were said, well, you can hang out with the bat and watch the movie, watch Batman mm-hmm. with, uh, a bat. with a bat, or we'll give you your money back. A lot of them, some chose to get their money back. A lot of them chose to stick it out. Uh, Heidi Dino, as I mentioned, she's the general manager of the theater. Uh, they said they'll be adding additional security So, Derek, they're checking to make sure you didn't bring outside food. You got to buy your food at the concession stand. And they're making sure you didn't sneak in a bat because she thinks it's likely that somebody released it into the theater as a prank.
2: (laughs) That does sound like a prank. That sounds like a high school prank, which actually not a bad prank. Although, again, like where did you get a bat?
0: Check it out. Look what I got in my pocket. I'm going to release it. We're going to see Batman. I'm going to release a bat, man. I...
2: I don't know. I don't know what happened to this. Their bats are disgusting, dude. They have diseases all <laughs> over them. Last thing you want is a bat to land in your hair, and then you got to you know shave it off and wash it. for.
0: It, they're D- gross. Did you ever see the video of the Irish family chasing a bat out of their uh, kitchen? No. Oh, it's fantastic. It's one of my sister. My, I, my little sister, and I love that video. It's so much so that I bought her... Uh, um, there's a... The mother's name is Maureen, and it's the son, the adult son, the dad, and the mom. And Maureen is kind of hiding behind this door, and there's a quote uh, at one point that the son is filming this whole thing. Uh, I recommend everybody check it out on YouTube, just Irish family bat in the house. But anyway, there's this part where he he looks at Maureen, and she's hiding behind the door, and she goes, Maureen, you'll no help behind the door. (laughs) Anyway, that, I bought my sister a coffee mug with that quote on it. That is a fantastic video. That's the thing about bats, like... Do you think Batman, the bat, got
2: in there and was like, Oh, this is finally finally a movie about some me. representation. Yeah, and
0: he's like, "Wait a minute, this is this is the thirty seventh one of these they've made." Yeah, and
2: he's like, "He's like, wait a minute, this is not okay. You cannot be dressing up as my species. Yeah, <laughs> this is not cool. My culture is not your costume. Dude, imagine if a bat dressed up as a man? It was man bat. You know how scary, how terrifying that would be? It's like Texas Chainsaw Mask. How with many a bats bat underneath? So
0: like. You know, there's always the joke about, like, three kids or two kids in a trench coat pretending <laughs> yeah. to be an adult. How many bats would it take to... Like, you'd need hundreds of bats in a trench coat oh, to be gosh. a human, right?
2: Uh, Yeah, hundreds. That'll be like the new guess the jelly beans in the jar. How many bats are How in trench How many bats coat?
0: are in the trench coat mm-hmm. going to see... Uh, but if, if they think... I don't know. They think this one... I could see it being a prank. I just figure Austin... Like, Austin is associated with bats. And I like I said, I... I you, you, you said, I mean, and, and a lot of people agree, and I, I would lean that way, too. The bats are pretty disgusting. But, like, Austin is known for their bats. Yeah. No, I and think, so, uh, don't they have a minor league baseball team, the Austin bats? I, that wouldn't surprise I'm sure. Maybe. Because they've to. got that bridge. They li- I mean, they truly, bats are a huge part of the Austin culture. Keep Austin weird. Mm-hmm. They're successfully doing it. Uh, whether it was a bat on, itself, on its own, sneaking it. I hope it, it bought a ticket. Yeah. Um, you don't want a liar of a bat.
2: No, I mean, that's the real a, crime. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine yeah.
0: with a bat going to the movies, but buy a ticket.
2: I'll be honest. I've snuck into so many movies. It's it's not that I've snuck. I haven't done it in a really, really long time. I mean, that's probably <laughs> in high school. Um, so you're the reason the to, theater
0: over on uh, 23rd went under, huh? The theater on 23rd? Yeah, there was a movie theater on 23rd Street here in Lawrence that, uh, huh. or Iowa, not 23rd, I beg your pardon. Well, I didn't go to high school here, so it wouldn't oh, have been okay, my fault. Okay. Um
2: I uh, used to. It, it's not that I wouldn't buy a ticket. I'd buy one ticket and then you go see two or three movies.
0: Oh, that's okay. Oh, so um, that's okay. But if I sneak in, there's let, no, one. It's, it's, it's not okay. I'm just saying. Mm. I, I'm saying okay, as in I understand what it is. I hope you're the saying. statute
2: of limitations for that has passed.
0: I, uh, I, I don't know. My my dad dated a, when he was in high school. He dated a girl in his town who worked at the movie theater, and he saw. Um, Ample, usually you think, uh, ooh, taking a girlfriend to the movies, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, No, he just got a bunch of free movies because he wanted to go watch the movies. So uh, you can tell what kind of or my family is. All right, we're going to move on. This is uh, from New Hampshire and the UPI. A New Hampshire fishing boat was dredging for scallops when mm. they pulled up something unexpected. It was 12,000 years old. What was it? Not your mom.
2: Uh, I was going to say a mummy. Oh, Mummies are old. That's not bad. Yeah.
0: Uh, no, a woolly mammoth's tooth. A tooth? A
2: L- tooth. lived that year. Wow. That's what they need to do then. It, you know, you go to the dentist's office, you get a cavity or root canal or whatever, and it, it's not a for sure thing that, like, it's not going to last forever, right? They need to get mammoth teeth. I don't, well, how many? I don't know.
0: That's the thing. You can get so many human teeth off of one mammoth tooth, right? You uh, can just chisel them right off.
2: Yeah, and then you can, you know. And what if you, I mean, you could, could, could you do that?
0: We'll have to ask uh, some of the folks from uh, the Kansas Center from uh, for dentistry that advertised with us. We'll have to have them on. Hey, can you melt down a, a mammoth tooth and and mold it into a bunch of human teeth? Is that is that okay? What if that becomes the new version of gold? You had, you know, that George. Like, I mean, theoretically, there's no
2: value actually to gold, other than it's just like, hey, this people is shiny. Say, well, that's Let's pretty. make this yeah. have value. Yeah, it's true. So why couldn't we do the same thing with, with teeth? mammoth teeth?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. Um, my, I, uh, yeah. If if they do, if they wind up deciding to do that, these people are rich. Twelve thousand year old woolly mammoth's tooth. The Portsmouth-based crew, known as the New England Fishmongers said the 11-inch long tooth was found off the coast of Newburyport, Massachusetts. Tim Ryder, captain and co-owner, took the seven-pound item to the University of New Hampshire where experts identified it. I always love thinking about the landscape of New England, uh, UNH geology professor Will Clyde told NBC Boston. With mammoths and mastodons walking around and in terms of geological times, that wasn't long ago. Ryder said he has decided to auction the tooth on eBay and donate the proceeds to World Central Kitchen, a charity working to provide hot meals to refugees from the violence in Ukraine. I'm a fisherman, but anytime you see families and children struggling in that type of situation, you really try to be thankful for what you have and do what you can do to help. Nice guy! Mm. Very so nice he finds guy. a big old woolly mammoth tooth and says, You know what? I'm going to sell it. Who do you think is going to buy it? Uh, some...
2: Rich guy who is gonna make like a table out of it. That could something. be something. What's your favorite? Um, I don't know what period that is, but I don't. Yeah, whatever don't. time period. Mesozoic, like, what's your favorite? Jurassic, yeah, sure. Any of that? What's your favorite animal from that time period? I'm a big saber tooth <sighs> tiger guy.
0: Yeah, I've always been fond of the of the woolly mammoths and the mastodons because they've kind of just got that mm. that that. Mastodon
2: sounds a lot cooler than it is, though. Like yeah. the name itself sounds awesome, and then you're like, "Oh, it's just like a bigger elephant, big hairy elephant." Yeah.
0: Um, what about the uh, what do they call them? Uh, the the hobbits call them an Olifant, a um, uh, mamaduke. Uh, Mar- uh, no, not um, Mama, a mumakil. The... No, that's the oh. dog. No, that's yeah. the dog. <laughs> the um, cart- <laughs> no, a mumakil. a mumakil, Those huge, those huge multi tusked elephants from the Lord of the Rings. Oh. They're called in, in most parts of Middle Earth. That's they're not called, real, they're, right? They're, no. Okay. In most parts of Middle Earth, they're called the uh, Amumil, and then uh, from west, of the, the the folks from uh, the Hobbits uh, refer to it as an Oliphant. Mm. Um, so they're big, and and you know Legolas killed one and such. Um, but probably, I don't know. I've like you know I like my favorite animal nowadays is a gorilla. I like animals that have that. I know I could rip you apart and I <laughs> carry myself with a quiet confidence because I don't need to boast because you know that I could tear you apart. And so I, I appreciate that sort of attitude. I feel like woolly mammoths probably had that.
2: Yeah, probably. I mean, that had to have been such a thrill as, like, a caveman or whatever. You don't have, like, the things we do today to go hunting or something. And you as a team take <laughs> down a woolly mammoth. I mean, you're you're eating for months. Forever, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so much meat on the Just bone Just think there. about it. And now They're, PETA hates me.
0: Its tooth is You can't get in trouble for it, talking about extinct. eating an extinct animal, yeah, it's right? Extinct. Yeah. They, they can't care anymore. Um They uh if it's two, if one of its teeth is seven pounds, that thing must have been a monster. Woo! Like my tooth has to weigh less than seven pounds, I would think. Mm. I've never actually put my mouth on a scale, but I gotta think a tooth is less than seven pounds. Oh yeah. Easy. All right. Uh, next up, we're going to East Greenwich, Rhode Island. So we're staying in the uh, New England area. A big old, a big old plastic bag of uh, what uh, was found? Um, mm. The Rhode Island Society for Prevention of Cruelty said Tuesday. Well, if it's the Prevention of Cruelty.
2: A bag of what?
0: I don't know. Big ass bag of animal heads. Oh, gosh. Found them in a plastic bag. You know, that was was my next guess. I was about to guess that. I figured. Yeah. In East Greenwich last month appeared to be related to some sort of religious animal sacrifice ritual. There's some weird people in this world, man. Yeah. There's some weird dudes. The bag, originally brought to the attention of police on February 25th, near a boat launch, contained a calf's head, several rooster heads, a lamb head, and a goat head. The animal welfare group said in a statement, "It is believed that animal remains that were found were from animals that were sacrificed as part of a religious ritual." Dude, it's it's like I don't want to dog on anybody. I believe in in freedom of uh, of religion, but golly, cut it out.
2: Well, it's like I believe in freedom of choices, but like I don't think you should have the choice to like in terms of like free will. But I don't think you should murder <laughs> someone. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. Like. Like it's there's got, always a line there like
0: yeah you can't kill a person as part of a you can't it's not, you're not you know you're not tossing people into volcanoes to make it rain anymore <laughs> right. as part of your religion why are you allowed to do this The bag also contained grains and colored cloth material associated with previous animal sacrifice investigations and two hand-drawn pictures the organization said you think that people from midsummer did this they were in Sweden but maybe they' they have an offshoot of their cult out in, in Rhode Island somewhere.
2: Nah, I, this stuff makes me so uncomfortable. Just like thinking, ah. Uh, also
0: had a the letter D with an arrow through it.
2: Okay, now you're just messing with me.
0: One looked like a... It says right on there, one looked mm. like a smiling theater mask. Uh, the organization Actually, you're going to
2: tell me there's a creepy doll involved.
0: Asked anyone with information about the bag or the significance of the drawings to contact their investigators. Man, there's just some weird people. Hmm, I...
2: No, just no. See, this is stuff that you think just happens in like movies or TV shows, where it's like where they're just trying to creep you out. No, like this
0: happens in real life. Like you <sighs>
2: said, bunch of weirdos out there.
0: Yeah, nobody needs any of that. All right, we're moving on to the UPI. Derek, scariest place in the world? Mm, Australia. Dennis of Australia uh, was trying to get a beer out of his fridge. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, it's Australia. I don't even know why this is news. Uh, he encountered a seven-foot carpet python when he went to grab a beer from his bar fridge. I tweeted the other night because a guy was out in, in, also in Australia uh, just scrolling around on his iPad having a nice, he had a glass of something, I don't know if it was a water or iced tea or maybe a drink, uh, and a, a snake kind of slithered it up behind him. Everybody was okay, but it was caught on his kind of ring cam or security cam. And I tweeted this. They said something about how he was surprised by a snake. <laughs> Encountering a snake in Australia is at no time surprising. If you go a full day in Australia without seeing a snake, <laughs> that's a that is, that's a surprise. <laughs> uh, reptile specialist Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers 24-7 came to the rescue in order to capture the large snake so that Dennis could have his beer. Mullet Mick and Adele of Sunshine oh. Coast Snake Catchers 24-7 Mullet Mick and Adele, how about them? They're heroes. That sounds like
2: a TV show.
0: They arrived onto the scene and wrangled up the carpet python in a video posted to the company's Facebook page on Tuesday. The duo then set the snake free into the wilderness. The carpet python had leapt out of its bag, uh, uh, and uh, oh, as it was placed in the wild, eager to be free. Sunshine's uh, Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers twenty four seven previously helped an Australian family. Catch one of the world's most venomous snakes from their swimming pool in February. So, Mullet Mick and Adele of Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers. If you're ever in Australia and you uh, encounter a uh, a snake, which is very likely, give them a call. They won't hurt. Then you'll get, you'll be able to get your beer. They'll set the the snake free back into the wilderness where it belongs. That's how you absolute, know you've made it in life. Absolute land of terrors. If if you have an
2: adjective to describe mullet mick, like that's yeah. how you know you've made it. So congratulations to them. That is Around the World with Adam. Coming up next, we are going to get on to our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Great spot to grab a bike to eat, hang out with friends, watch the game, or just enjoy a nice, relaxing spot to be. That's Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. KU Disc Golf with Bryce L- Wilson coming up next. Our KU Club interviews continue on. We've got Bryce Wilson of KU Disc Golf joining us now. These Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. No better place to be to feel like you're just hanging out in the neighborhood with friends and family. Watch a game. Enjoy a nice bite to eat or maybe something to drink. Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. We all have some great memories at Johnny's Tavern. Check them out. Today, our interview, Bryce Wilson. Thanks for joining us today. This is probably a dumb question, Bryce, but are, are the score scoring rules in disc golf for the the exact same as they are in golf?
3: Yeah, there is really no difference when it comes to the, either side.
2: And so, as far as like disc golf courses, specifically here in Lawrence, I, I know there's one kind of nearby our. Offices here over at, uh oh gosh, I don't even know the name of the park. Are, are most disc golf courses nine holes? Are they 18 holes? How many places are there in Lawrence?
3: There's, I think, four or five places here in Lawrence. They're typically 18 holes. There are some nine holes. But with disc golf, the rounds take about two hours as, as opposed to golf where it's like four.
2: So that's an advantage there. And, and in joining the KU disc golf, Like club is it is it just an opportunity to meet more people who play disc golf to where you can meet friends to just go out or do you guys have competitions and tournaments and events that you guys are joining
3: it's a little bit of both um i've met a lot of my friends through joining the club i've been in the club for over four years now um but we also have gone around We've played in Arkansas, Colorado, Missouri. We've gone all the way to North Carolina. And so we've kind of gone around and competed and just friends afterwards.
2: And so how does that work with going to a tournament? Is it a big, like, uh, again, kind of just comparing it to golf, is it a big, like, four-day event? Is it a one-day thing? Or, or Are things scored as a team? Or are they scored individually? Kind of take me through the whole, uh, I guess, tournament or competition
3: aspect of it. So depending on, there's two different tournaments for college disc golf. There's um, qualifiers, and then we have our national tournament. Qualifiers are about two days, um, and our national tournament is, I think, this year it's four days. Um, And how it is is we have a unique format that is only played in college disc golf, which is called team doubles. So instead of normal doubles, where you have one person throw and then the other person, you know, throws from that lie or whatever team doubles is um, it's essentially that same format just with four people. So you have two people. So let's say group a throws um, on one hole, then group B so the other two would throw from the next lie and then group, and then they would just alternate like that. So we, so we have that, and then we also have singles rounds where then our score is counted into the total just from our individual skill. Uh,
2: what are maybe some disc golf-like terms of, of the sport that maybe if you, know, you weren't in the weeds of the sport necessarily and you walked up and somebody said this term or this phrase or something, they would have no idea what you were talking about?
3: Um, a couple terms we get a lot is the fade of the disc which all that means is so when you're, if you're a right-handed thrower, backhand thrower, then the disc is going to want to naturally go left. Um, and that just, the fade just means the more left it goes. Um, and then there is also another term called uh, turn, which turn I mean, just means the disc is uh, going to want to turn a little bit or go a little right before it fades out. And those are like the two probably most popular terms I get.
2: So what's the most difficult part about disc golf? And what's the most fun part about disc golf?
3: The most difficult part, honestly, would be the mentality or mental of it. Like when you're in a round and you uh, are playing bad, you kind of, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You kind of have to just, sit there and you have to try to figure out how to get out of the situation. Um, The most fun part, the most fun parts playing with uh, the team overall, just playing like what our team doubles rounds are the most fun rounds just because we're all together. It's a lot more laid back because it's not as like, Oh, you just threw one shot and just went horribly bad and now you're done. It's, You get to keep going. You have someone else to rely on.
2: I I don't know if if you'll know what I'm referencing here, but I don't know. Maybe about a year ago or something, there was a a big disc golf um, tournament going on, and and some guy hit like this insane hole in one shot from basically where the tee was um, to force, I think, overtime, and he, he ended up winning. In the uh, extra, extra hole, uh, what's what's the craziest shot that you've ever made on, in disc golf? And I mean, how good are all the players that are that are uh, part of the club?
3: Um, I, I do actually. I, I know what you're referencing there. Um, but his name was Ricky Wysocki. He won the whatever U.S. championship mm-hmm. um, off of that. Now, um, the craziest shot I've done. Um, I think it would have to be one of the, we had, we were in Arkansas and we had to throw over a water shot and we, we were tied with Arkansas at this time. And, um, I had to throw, I think it was about 300 to 50 feet over water and I threw it and I had a tiny gap at the end and it landed right next to the basket on the end and we ended up beating Arkansas. In the end and it possibly was due to that shot That's and awesome. um that that was probably one of my more favorite shots I've ever had uh and then the skill range of the club it just ranges I mean we have some guys that are just uh, out of this world good, and then we have other people that are just you know they're they're all right, but they aren't. They're they aren't doing anything special. They aren't gonna tear up a course or anything like that.
2: Yeah, and is is that something where, as part of the club, you know, you'll let kind of anybody get involved, whether you're a more novice player, whether you are super into disc golf, and and is that something where you'll help kind of teach maybe the more novice players to, uh, I don't know how to better throw a frisbee or, or different ways to throw it and everything like that.
3: Oh yeah, we we take any skill level and we teach them and we don't stop any skill level from traveling with us. Like this year we had three, so teams consist of four people. And so this year we were traveling consistently with three teams. Um, And, uh, and they were just all ranging of skill levels and we just, we all help each other out.
2: And when does the disc golf season typically run?
3: Uh, pretty much the whole year, um, how college, how we kind of work is a lot of our qualifiers start in the, uh, like, I don't know about September to the end of November. And then it kind of takes a small break, um, which they're outside of college disc golf. There is normal disc golf, like tournaments and you can play those, but, um, typically our college stuff will pick up again about late February to to the beginning of April
2: you mentioned going on trips and going to other states and everything is that stuff where you know the members of the team are are paying for it out of pocket um do you guys do any fundraising things like that
3: so we we do a lot of fundraising um for nationals we typically have to pay a little out of pocket um but since I've became president, we've had to pay considerably less out of pocket. Like this year is the least I think we've ever paid. And it's about a hundred dollars. Um, but what we usually do is what I've started is we host a tournament in August where it's like, I mentioned how there's just anyone can play in tournament. It's like outside of college disc golf. And so, um, We'll get like I think this last year we had about ninety people in August, and then we actually have a, another fundraiser tournament here this Saturday, and that's and right now we're at a, I think eighty eight people on that.
2: So that's obviously one way people can support you. They can go out and, and try this themselves, and the money goes to a good cause. Is there any other way that people can help support the disc golf club?
3: Um, yeah, with, with sometimes we'll do T-shirt fundraisers. Um, we don't really have any donations right now but if people want to donate that that's perfectly acceptable like we we accept anything but typically the biggest ways are the tournaments that we get or that we do
2: he is Bryce Wilson the president for KU disc golf Bryce appreciate you joining me today and uh good luck the rest of your guys season
3: yeah appreciate it thanks
2: all right, that was Bryce Wilson from the KU Disc Golf Club as our interviews continue on with KU Club Sports brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. If you have a club sport that you know somebody's involved in or you're involved yourself and you know you want to talk about it, get on the air and, and you know be part of this as well, reach out to us at RCST1320 on Twitter. You can shoot me an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. All right, we've got a couple things to take care of. This is our last show of the week, so we haven't done our stock market report in a couple weeks. We are going to try to do it last week, but things just got too busy with programming and not having shows and stuff. Uh, so we need to update that before the NCAA tournament. We've also got our college basketball title winner draft, and then we're just going to talk a little bit about the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, out early today for Westwood One coverage. By the way, first four continues on. We had the first two. Of the first, why do they call it the first four? By the like, okay, I I understand it. It's saying the first four winners, but technically there's eight teams.
0: Yeah, because the final four is not called two. There's yeah, four yeah, teams right. Based on how many teams there are. Right. So
2: shouldn't it be called like the first eight? I know it doesn't I'm sound as good. The, I'm, yeah, I'm
0: guessing the uh, uh, alliteration is why they they should do three games. So you could call it the starting six. Ooh,
2: how about the early eight?
0: Yeah, early eight. Okay, okay. Remember, we talked about this off the air yesterday. Remember that really weird time it was like 2011 through maybe 2014 ish but for the first like 2011 i know they did it but for the first few years of them having the opening round games they called that the first round and the round of 64 was the second round and so on and so on which was the dumbest thing ever
2: that is very dumb um the whole all of yeah. this started was because that. they
0: leak in 2010 they leaked the idea of That they were that they were discussing expanding to either ninety six or one hundred and twenty eight, and a lot of people like, no, that's too many. And they saw the reaction from that, so then they said, all right, we're going to do sixty eight, and then then announced the whole pair. No, that's it's really annoying too
2: because you can look back if you go to like college basketball reference and you see like like you click a team. I was looking at like Temple the other day for some reason, and it it was like they got a five seed this year, second round you're like, oh, they won a tournament game. You click and on they, it. No, like, no yeah. they lost in the first game. Yep, yep. Yeah.
0: That was annoying. Very frustrating. Okay, our, our
2: uh, stock market report. We're both going to do a lot of selling, a lot of buying. Um, so I am going to go ahead. So I have Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, Oregon, Syracuse, Oklahoma, Colorado State, TCU, and Purdue. I am going to sell all of my shares of Oregon. They had a disappointing season. I don't want them in the NIT. You never know the motivation of teams in the NIT. Syracuse, I'm going to sell them off. They ended up getting pretty much back to even from where they were because of a good ACC tournament run. Um, I can't go anywhere with them anyway. Colorado State, I don't love their draw. Even if they beat Michigan, I don't love that they'd have to play a a Tennessee team that I like in the second round. They're about even from where I bought them. Slight loss, but I'll sell off all five of theirs. TCU ended up making me about $10 over only having them for on do know, three or four weeks or so, so that one worked out. I'm glad I did that, but now I'm going to sell off on them because I don't think they'd get past Arizona, even if they get past Seton Hall. And then Purdue. I, I bought in on Purdue with the idea. I thought they would win the Big Ten tournament. They came very close, but they didn't do it, and then I was going to sell them off because I didn't buy them in the NCAA tournament. They ended up losing in the Big Ten tournament final, so I ended up losing a little bit on them, but I, I'm not a believer in them in the NCAA tournament, especially with Kentucky possibly uh, being a roadblock for them in the Sweet 16. So I'll sell off all my Purdue. What I'm going to do with all this money, I'm going to invest in some underdogs this week, oh. and then I'll probably sell them off next week. So I'm going to buy in on UAB. Uh, they have the guard, I think, Jelly Walker. I, th- I think his last name's Walker. I know they call him Jelly. for it, His actual name is like Jordan, but Jelly is so much cooler. Um, UAB.
0: Once again, back back to my I, – I have a, a long-running list of um, Southern football names that I love. And I, I need to start making – apparently in the South they love nicknaming their basketball players too because he's – Jelly is right up there with Pig Howard and Poop Johnson.
2: Well, and it's funny. And this goes with Pig Howard too. I think Poop Johnson was the D tackle.
0: But yeah, Corey.
2: Pig Howard was a – Wide receiver. Receiver. And, and this Jelly Walker, he's a guard. He's not like he's – yeah, He's not, not, a, like he's he's not a flabby guy. Or something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but UAB has had – some pretty good success in the NCAA tournament when they made it. 2015 was their last appearance. If you remember, they were a 14 seed that year. They beat three seed Iowa State. What um, year was that? Fifteen. 2015. Yeah, uh, that was after Iowa State won, I believe, the Big
0: 12 tournament. Yeah, they beat Kansas. They had a big upset the, or a big comeback over Kansas.
2: 2005. UAB was an 11 seed. They won their first game. 2004. UAB was a nine seed. They, they, they were nine. Kansas they upset. 16.
0: That was the first year that they that they seeded the ones. Kentucky was the very first ever one overall seed, and UAB bounced them in the second round. And then in the Sweet 16, Kansas went and just shredded their press in Sweet 16 um, in St. Louis.
2: So listen, I know Houston is a darling on Ken Palm and everything. They have two players who've been injured all year. They've still found a way to do it. I think they are very upset prone, especially after last year. I, I know it doesn't matter what happened last year to this year. But sometimes you get so lucky with your tournament draw like they did last year where they didn't have to beat a, a single-digit seed on their way to the Final Four. Yeah. And sometimes it just reverts. So I, I don't know why. I really like UAB. I'll buy in on them. 10 shares, thirteen ninety-six a share. I'm also buying Vermont. 10 shares, 13 dollars a share. That's right. Vermont that, is a really good team. That Arkansas home court coach. advantage. Yep. Eric Musselman's already complaining about it, which I They're get it. Buffalo. But, like, dude, how many alumni, how many fans are there actually Vermont basketball? People are already going to root against you anyway so because you're the I'm, higher season. I, I so. don't
0: know where it was. I'm going to do some if quick research. If that's what he's thinking about, I feel even better about keep, Vermont. Keep talking because I'm going to do, back in, uh, I think, 2006, Vermont um, upset Syracuse. Yes. Syracuse was, was, we talk every year, there's a team that gets hot in their conference tournament and rides it to a deep run, and there's a team that gets hot in their conference tournament and runs out was of the legs. that the McNamara? That was yes when Run. when were we with the Jerry the some assistant coach reportedly said Jerry McNamara is overrated and Jim Beheim went off in the press conference that said they wouldn't have won ten bleeping games yeah. without Jerry McNamara. So that was
2: two thousand five. They beat a uh, four seed Syracuse. Uh, Vermont was, was the thirteen seed. It was oh five. Um, and they had this one guy, Taylor Coppenrath. He was like a a six nine husky forward, averaged twenty five a game, twenty five and nine. But anyway, um. So yeah, I, I like Vermont, and then South Dakota State is the one I really like is the 13 seed. Providence I think is very uh, wary, so they're 11.38. I'll buy 10 shares of them. So I'm buying in on the 13 seeds. This, or well, I guess UAB is the 12.
0: Real quick, I'm trying to find where that game was to see if Vermont had an alleged home. But if that game no, because Syracuse. If is, that game was in Buffalo, then Syracuse had yeah. a much better, much better. Uh, that was a 4-13 game, right? Yeah. So you, That was in Worc- Worcester. So it was in Massachusetts. So.
2: so you have Duke, Texas, Milwaukee, Creighton, Arizona, and Gonzaga.
0: I'm going opposite of you. I'm going to just invest solely in teams that I can ride till the end and hope that their, uh, that their value goes up, 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 up with more wins, particularly if they start beating really good teams come Sweet 16 Elite 8 time. I am dumping everything I have in Mm. Duke, Creighton, and Texas. I'm selling it all.
2: 10 shares of Duke, 5 of Texas, 10 of Creighton. That gives you almost
0: $500. I am buying 8 more of Arizona. Or do I have any Arizona? You have 4 of Arizona, so you can buy 8 more and give you 12. Do I have any Gonzaga? You have 5
2: of Gonzaga.
0: buying 8 apiece. Give me 8 Arizona, 8 Gonzaga, and I'm hoping, well, I'm hoping Kansas. I'm hoping I lose this and Kansas wins the national championship, (laughs) but... Um, my my thought is zone and Zaga versus each other in the national championship, um, and we'll go from there. And, okay. o- and over the course of that time, that could mean Arizona grabs a win over Villanova and the Elite Eight, upping their Ken Palm numbers, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Okay, we have to do our college basketball title winner draft as well. This is just, we both have four teams. You have the I think option. I'm going to hang on to everybody. Yeah, you have Gonzaga, Kansas, Villanova, and UCLA. And when I narrowed down teams who could win a title, you have three or four of them with Gonzaga, Kansas, Villanova. And Gonzaga is obviously the title favorite. Uh, would you think about getting rid of UCLA and exchanging them for somebody else? Do you have Arizona? I do. So I have no. uh, Kentucky, Arizona, about, Duke, and Baylor.
0: Unless you're thinking about dumping Arizona, then no.
2: Well, here's some here's some teams guess, that are available. Uh, Houston is fourth on Ken Palm. Tennessee is seventh. UCLA is eighth. Texas Tech is ninth. Auburn is tenth.
0: I just don't. No, no, I'm sticking with with. I well, what's UCLA?
2: They are eighth on Ken Palm.
0: No, I just figure anything. I I I love the the other three teams and anything that UCLA has over the other teams that that I could trade for is is they just went to a final four last year um so no I'm I'm going to stick with the four I have and especially if Arizona is not coming available which I think you would be a fool to give them up if you want to be a fool be my guest um but no I'm I'm going to stick with what I have
2: I am going to get rid of Baylor cuz teams don't repeat um and I'm going to just take Tennessee I'm between Tennessee and Auburn I'll take Tennessee I really like their defense. Uh, their young point guard, Kennedy Chandler, is really fun to watch. And in a year where point guards are down, I don't know, take a risk out. I don't think they're going to win the title, but I like the shot of that better
0: than Baylor, I guess. I mean, this could be a big, like, if Tennessee rolls, this could be like a, a, a career-defining year for Rick Barnes. He has a chance to get his second Final Four and get a national title, but he, he's not on the list of coaches that have won a national title. So he has a lot to, to gain this year.
2: Okay, we got a few more minutes before the top of the hour here. So I do want to go over a little bit with the NCAA tournament. Uh, we've mentioned narrowing the field and, and things like that. I I want to talk two things. Um, I want to get to your final four in a second here. But as you look at the bracket, who are teams that you're viewing as, as Cinderella candidates or teams that you like to pull up sets early?
0: What do you consider a Cinderella? I think a Sweet 16. Appearance? for what for what set for what seed for like a double digit seed i think south dakota state um iowa i think is probably the the best team out of that pod even though they're the five seed and providence is the four i think Iowa is the best team out of that pod but i like south dakota state um we talked to jesse last hour and, and he feels the same way and I, I just zeke mayo obviously and and i think there's something to be said i know that they're you know, eighteen and O or twenty and O or whatever they went in the summit is not equal to doing that in a power league. But I think there's something to be said that it's you know, winning streaks die hard, and so I think when they finally lose, it's going to be against a team that's giving them trouble or that they give trouble. So um, I think South Dakota State, I think Michigan has the dudes to make a run. Um, even though I, I you know, think Tennessee they impressed me, Loyola, Chicago have kind of continued to do things that they did under Porter Mosier that made them scary. Um, and then even though this isn't a, uh, a double-digit seed, Memphis just has freak athletes and they can really scare some people.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good one. I, I really like the 13 seeds this year. Chattanooga, Vermont, South Dakota State. I don't really love Akron. Um, anytime that a uh, uh, lower seed is a power five team playing the higher seed, which is not a power five team. I always kind of circle those sometimes. I, I don't really, I don't know. It's weird because all year we've talked about how there aren't like these elite teams and great teams and everything. I'm having trouble finding that like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 seed that like, okay, the, the year that Loyola Chicago made the final four, I didn't have them in the final four. I think I did actually have them in the elite eight that year. Humble brag, but, um, it's it's not about that. It's about the idea that I remembered looking at Loyola Chicago's like profile, and it was like they play really good defense. They're really efficient shooting the ball, both from two and three, and they play like a slowed down style of play. Like they, there was something about the profile that you could just tell. Okay, maybe this is a team that could you know be that Cinderella. I'm having trouble with that this year, and it's unfortunate because. Some of the teams that I was eyeing to do that, like San Francisco, Murray State, those were two teams I was looking for. But you'd have to play Kentucky in the second round. Yeah. Like if, if, if you could have told me that uh, San Francisco and Miami would switch as 10 seats, or, or Murray State and USC would switch as seven seats between the Midwest and the East, I might have that team like in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight.
0: Looking at that bracket, you could argue that Kentucky's toughest game could be the round of 32 game. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know if Baylor even gets to the Elite Eight.
2: Yeah, and I don't even know if Purdue gets to and the Sweet the thing, And that's the thing, and
0: if they do, I think Kentucky will manhandle them.
2: And they'll score 100 points because Purdue's defense is terrible. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any, any like double-digit seeds past the Sweet 16. I do have UAB in the Sweet 16. Um, I would not be surprised if South Dakota State makes it. I do have Iowa in the end in the Sweet 16, but it wouldn't be shocking to me. And then it wouldn't be surprising to me if, if Vermont made it to the Sweet 16 either. But I think, I think for the most part, a lot of those teams, like I'm saying, like Loyola-Chicago, they came back and cleared the Final Four parameters yesterday. I'm not going to pick them to get past Villanova, though, in the second round. And even if they do, I like Tennessee. So it's like I'm not going to pick them past the Sweet 16. Uh, Davidson, I think that's an interesting Davidson team. They can really shoot the basketball. I'm not picking them to get past Duke in the second round in Coach K's final year. I'm just not. So it's kind of hard. Um, as far as Final Four picks, though. Uh, what do you like? What are your picks from the west, south, midwest, and east?
0: I'm going um, Gonzaga, Kentucky. Mm. Uh, this is tough because I really like Villanova, and I really don't know if I can trust a first-year coach, um, but I am taking Arizona out of the south. And sorry, but I am going Auburn out of the midwest. So I've got a pretty chalky final four, 1-1, 2-2. Well, um, I think
2: on average there have been two seeds that make the Final Four like every year, so it's not like, you know.
0: But I, yeah, I've got, I think Auburn. No, it's boring, but. I've kind of got Auburn. I, I hope, uh, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I've got Auburn over Iowa in the Elite Eight. I think Iowa nips Kansas.
2: I have the exact same thing, which I do feel silly because a lot of people are picking Iowa over Kansas. and. Sometimes when that happens too much, again, I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa loses in one of the first couple rounds or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, just... I
0: talked about Louisville mm-hmm. in 2011. Everyone said, "Oh man, Kansas could be vulnerable against four seed Louisville," and Morehead State bounced them in the first round.
2: Heck, I remember 2017. Louisville was the two seed in KU's bracket, and everybody was like, "They had like this seven foot three guy." Yeah, everybody's like, "How's KU going to handle that?" And they lose in the second Purdue round. Purdue well.
0: was Purdue was supposed to scare. Um, uh, Purdue was supposed to scare that Kansas team, and they actually did wind up playing. And you know the Kansas was up nine after the legerald Vic dunk, and then rolled away.
2: I have uh, Gonzaga out of the West. I have Kentucky out of the east. We're the exact same there. I do have Arizona coming out of the South. I don't think they're going to win the title, but I just I think they're completed we up. We have to the make exact same Final Four. I thought you didn't have Arizona. No I, no, I said I oh. like
0: Villanova, but I'm leading Arizona. Yeah, we do. I, I said I don't know. I don't know how I feel about a first-year coach, but I'm going to go with Arizona. And then I have Kentucky beating Gonzaga.
2: I have Auburn beating. No, I have Arizona beating Auburn, and then Kentucky beating Arizona I've, in a Wildcat final.
0: I have Gonzaga over Arizona in the national championship. So that's our one difference
2: outside of that. Pretty much on the same page. All right. He is Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down. Just a, a one segment to go, and then we're going to head out early for. First four coverage, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com and the KLWN app. Depend on it.